0: Ephesians chapter four. If you have your Bibles this morning, Ephesians chapter four. Um you probably don't this probably don't interest you as much as it's it it's intriguing to me the different ways that the Lord kinda directs me sometimes. I know I know pastors who already know every message that they're gonna preach next year. They plan their calendar a year in advance and they know what they're gonna be preaching and I'm not knocking that I've been to some conferences before that they told me that's how you're supposed to do it and honestly unless the Lord gives me something that develops into a series because I know I can't preach it all in one week I don't usually know what I'm gonna preach from one week to the next I try to listen for the voice of the Lord to speak in different ways sometimes it's something that happens around me Um, sometimes it's something that's going on in a culture sometimes you just kind of get the you just kind of get a feeling of this is where the church is at and this is what the church needs. And sometimes it's something that God's speaking into my heart and challenging and changing me um, that I feel led to share with you. But um, this came about a little bit different than, than anything, I guess, that I can say has happened before. Um, Cindy got progressively worse last Sunday. I thought she just had she has sinus issues all the time, so I honestly just thought that was what was going on saturday um i gave the kids an, an opportunity to back out of having christmas sunday and they didn't want to they wanted so cindy stayed on the couch and just stayed covered up but she got worse sunday and we called gracie gracie was like it's good to have people in the church <laughs> um, that uh that are in the medical profession so uh, gracie said i'll give her a shot if you'll get her up here so i, I took her by and gracie gave her a shot and sammy called me and he's like do y'all need anything I'm headed to Willacoochee and I said well (laughs) now that you mentioned it so it's good to have a pharmacist in the church too so he got her on some medication and uh I felt fine Monday we didn't leave the house and I spent all day at the house Christmas day by herself shut up in the house but I felt fine and Tuesday morning I woke up feeling a little funky didn't have no fever or nothing I just felt a little bit lethargic and I'm like Cindy was worse, and I said, Let's go, let's get an appointment and go see Gracie and let her test you and see if we got everything that we need. And I'm gonna let her test me while we're there. Well, I tested negative, but I, Gracie said, You probably got it if you're feeling something coming on. And so by Tuesday afternoon, um, I was I was fevered, so and I, I knew I probably had the flu as well. So, but I said, All I have to say is, I don't do well with fevers, I'm like Kenny. Kenny's down with a fever this morning. Fever shut me down. I mean, I don't want to do nothing but get on a uh, on a couch or in a chair and put as many blankets as I can get on top of me because I freeze to death when I have a fever. And uh, I laid on the couch for a few minutes and couldn't get warm, and so I told her, I said, I'm going to the bed, and you come pile some blankets on me. And um, I think I went to sleep about 7 o'clock, 7.30, um, or went to the bedroom at least. And that's probably the three of the deepest hours of sleep I have ever had in my life, but um and I woke up at ten thirty and it felt like it was it's supposed to be getting daylight soon. I went and what went in the living room after the fever broke, and I'm like, "See, so it's only ten thirty and she's like, "Yeah, you're going sleep about three hours but in that I said all that to say this: I was sleeping off that fever and um and I'm not t- i don't I don't know that i had, I can't tell you I've ever had a vision. Um, but in, in the midst of that fever, I saw and heard, and I wasn't even thinking, of, But trust me, I wasn't thinking about what I was going to preach today. I had no clue what I was going to preach today. It wasn't even crossing my mind. I was sick. Y'all know how it is when you're sick. Ain't nothing crossing your mind. But in the middle of that fever, it was like a neon sign just kind of scrolled across my brain. <laughs> And after it did, it was stuck there. When I woke up, I was thinking about it. and the next two days, even though I ran fever off and on, I just kept it kept I kept thinking about it. Um, what I saw and heard or, or, or envisioned, like a neon sign scrolling across the top of my brain, was three gifts that the church can't live without. Three gifts that the church can't live without. And, and right behind that phrase, those three gifts were listed. And I didn't have a clue. Um, really at that point in time what that meant or what I was supposed to do with it. it that's just, what I, I considered it a dream, um, but the but the, but the the more I pondered it and the more I couldn't get it off my heart and mind, the more I thought this is the direction the Lord wants me to go today, and I think it's a wonderful end of the year message and something maybe that will help um, spur us on for next year. Um, because when, the more I thought about those three gifts, and I didn't, I didn't sit down and try to come up with these. God is my witness. I saw these words scroll across the screen of my mind, and I thought, wow. I never really pondered that thought before, but these, are, these three gifts are indispensable to the life of the church. They are, they are uh, indisputably necessary gifts for the church to, um, to survive. And, and, and I, but I want to clarify that before I read this text and before we jump in, this is more practical than it is anything. I've preached doctrinally for most of the month of December about uh, Christmas and those fundamental, foundational doctrines. But this is going to be very, very practical this morning, and uh, I'm not going—I'm not going to just run all over the, the scriptures um, to try to establish this. But I will give you some thoughts. But I, I, I do want to clarify before I tell you what these. The, the title, Three Gifts the Church Can't Live Without, I need to give a little bit of clarity to that statement in and of itself uh, by simply saying the church is going to live until Jesus comes. So, so, I, so when I say Three Gifts the Church Can't Live Without, I don't mean the capital T-H-E-C-H-U-R-C-H, which is the kingdom of Christ on earth. There will always be a remnant of the church. That is without question in my heart, in my mind. Um, It is the kingdom that Christ is building. It it is on a solid foundation. Um, uh, Jesus said to Peter when Peter declared who he was, Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when I say three gifts the church can't live without, I'm not talking about the universal body of christ there's always going to be a faithful remnant that church is going to stand until jesus returns and then stand with him throughout all eternity what i'm talking more about is the life of the local church and uh, we know you you understand there are local churches that die every day there are doors since especially since the pandemic hit um, the number of churches that has just that have just closed the doors is staggering you don 't know how many conversations i 've had in the last year with people who say stuff like we 're two deaths away from locking the church doors um, we're, we're we're two membership losses away from just having to shutter the doors, and we don 't know what to do with it i 've had people call me offering to give us a building um, to see if we could do anything with um, what was left of the remnant of the church so when I, when I talk about three gifts the church can't live without, I'm talking about the spiritual life, health, and success of an individual church like we are, like the churches in our community are. And let, let me make one other clarification, and we're going to dig into it. Um, the greatest gifts that a Christian can't live without, and, and all this as I begin to develop this, I thought I just wanted to bring a little bit of clarity. The three. Gifts that a Christian can't live without are justification, sanctification, and glorification. And all of those things are found in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have those things by our faith in Christ. We, are, uh, we have been justified. We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. Those are the gifts that God's given to us. And so we can't live without those things. And we receive them by fully trusting Jesus. But the three gifts that I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, the three gifts that I want to talk to you about this morning um, are, are, are spiritual gifts and I want to make sure I say this very plainly so you can follow me from here on out. Um, they are spiritual gifts that are given to the church by Christ to be received and to be exercised by the church for the edifying of the church. So these are gifts that Christ gives to us that we receive and that we exercise he gives them to us so that we can exercise them within the context of the church for the benefit um, for the upbuilding that's what edifying means for the building up of the body so this is just kind of a springboard passage of Scripture. I know I preached through Ephesians a year or so ago, but look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're just going to pick it up in verse 7. Um, this begins the very practical side of Ephesians. The first three chapters are all doctrinal. Um, the fourth chapter begins with a practical application of everything we just learned. This is, this is who you are in Christ, and now this is what it means to you. In those first six verses, um, he talks to us about the importance of unity within the context of the body and what it takes to, to, to have that unity and to keep that unity, and what that unity revolves around. And, and, and so unity is, is critical, he said, um, for the life of a local congregation. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. But then he kind of shifts gears a little bit in verse 7 and says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now there's a parenthesis in verse 9 and 10 that don't have any bearing on what I want to talk to you about this morning. So we're going to skip verse 9 and 10 just because a parenthetical thought that's not related to what has already been said or what's going to be said. Um, verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some, pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. So the three gifts that I'm referring to, what the, here's what the Bible says, is that, is that God has given us not only the grace to be saved, but he's given us the grace to, um, to, to, to be useful in the work of his kingdom. He's given us um, gifts. He ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. And the list that Paul gave there, let me just say this from the get-go, the list that he gave specifically in this text, apostles, um, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, uh, I don't believe there are any more apostles. I think they died, the last one that was an eyewitness of Jesus was John, and I think that was the last apostle. I know people call themselves apostles today, but I don't think it's the same type of apostle the church had then. I don't know that we, need a, we don't have a prophet today. We don't have a living spokesman for God as far as new revelation is concerned. So I don't think those two offices are necessary in the church anymore. Um, where, the, where the list is still very practical and useful in the church today is the evangelists who go out and, and win the lost to Christ and the pastors and teachers who disciple um, those, that have been, those that have been won to Christ. Pastor and teacher also could be used synonymously with one another. They work hand in hand. Um, together but that's not an exhaustive list of gifts um, and Paul didn't mean for that list to be exhaustive he's just given a short list of these are some of the things that God is giving to the church and all of the gifts that God gives to the church are to be used within the context of the body for the building up of the body when he and I, I, I don't. I'm not going to take you to all these passages, but if you go start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14, he's talking about gifts in the church, and he lists. He gives a lot more: um, the gift of tongues, the gift of the gift of healings, um, uh, the gift of ministrations, which is governance. Um, there are all kind of gifts. The, this this is not an exhaustive list here, um, but as I begin to think, and as I, as the Lord put this in my heart, and that in that fever I believe he did because it came very easy to prepare and um, and it made complete sense to me um, that these, are, these gifts are the gifts that the church can't live without I think the church now can live without the gift of tongues um, because the, the Bible has been, been been translated into so many different languages I think um, that the church can live without the gifts of healings the gifts of healings were nothing more but validations of the gospel um, Uh, From the apostles, I know people still claim to have that gift, and maybe they do. Um, But I don't know that that's a necessary gift for the church to operate in anymore. But these three gifts, I believe, are indispensable. I think they are indisputably necessary gifts that God has given to his church to be used perpetually for the upbuilding of his church. And the first is the gift of teaching. And he included that in his list, pastor, teacher, Pastors and teachers, however you want to look at that. Some people say pastor and teachers, one word, means the same thing. Others say pastors is a, is, a, is a calling like what I'm doing right now, and teachers are the people that that go out into the congregation in small groups like we do in Sunday school. So, so the gift of teaching, uh, l- let me define that a little bit for you. The ability to share the truths of God's word to others in an ever-increasing measure. The gift of teaching, and this is as simply as I can put it, is the ability to share the truths of God's Word to others in an ever-increasing measure. So, if God gave you, and this is my belief, if God gave you the gift of a sound mind, and I know that we can argue sometimes whether all of our minds are sound or not, (laughs) but I think looking around this congregation, I can say that God has given to us a sound mind. Um, he's given us the ability to think and reason and understand. Um, and He's given us the ability to teach. God has given us the gift of a sound mind, and so I think He's also given us the gift of teaching, the ability to share the truth of God's Word to other people in an ever-increasing measure. Now, there's a warning in James chapter 3, verse 1, that says uh, not to be many masters, which means you don't, don't try, you don't need too many people trying to be teachers. And, and, and that seems to contradict exactly what I'm trying to, to, to say to you this morning. Um, but it's not. I agree, with, I agree with what James says. I should agree because it's the Word of God. Um, James is speaking to a church and, 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 and saying literally to the church um, that, that not everyone is gifted or called to teach um, inside the ministry of the church i agree with that but i will also tell you this everybody can teach anybody what they already know now when taking on a role like what i have or like what a sunday school teacher might have um, there would be people who don't have the foundational knowledge, who don't have an under, enough understanding, who, who have not grown enough in their faith. Um, the, you know, one of the reasons the Bible said in the New Testament not to lay hands on any man suddenly is that when you call a man to be a pastor, he didn't need to be a novice. He didn't need to be, um, he, 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 he needs to have a little bit more than an elementary understanding of God's word, or he'll get in trouble very quickly and preach himself in a corner that he can't, that he has a hard time preaching himself out of. Um, so I, 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 that's James's condemnation and or, or, or warning, I should say. Um, don't don't jump out there and try to become a teacher because teachers are going to be judged more strictly than others. But at the same time, uh, everybody can teach what they already know. And, and just bear with me for a minute. Second Timothy chapter one verse five. Um, Paul made a statement that he had seen the faith of. Timothy's Timothy is a pastor, and Paul said, "I know, I knew your mother and grandmother, and they had authentic faith, unfeigned faith." And and uh, he said later on in that same epistle um, that from a child you have known the holy scriptures. So where did he learn that from? He learned it from his mom and his grandma. And so Paul is telling Timothy um, that you got your foundational teaching. Um, from most people that raised you up. Now, now Lois and, and um, his grandmother, and Eunice and Lois, probably never taught in the context of a church or a synagogue. They probably never had an official position anywhere. But what did they do? They took what they knew and they taught it to Timothy. So in that sense, they're a teacher. And in that sense, we're all teachers in that we take what we know about God's Word and we, and we share it with the people that are around us, beginning with our family, with the friends, with the co-workers, with the people that are around us, with anybody that will listen to us. So, so, so he, he says that you got that teaching that is foundational to everything that you are and everything that you do very early in your life um, from people who loved you and cared about you and who knew enough, enough about God's Word and had an unfeigned faith, and they shared that with you. Um, later on in, in, uh, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, um, Paul taught him a little bit more about God's word. And then he said, now what you have heard about me among many witnesses. T- t- you, Timothy was right alongside Paul when Paul was teaching here and teaching there and, 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 and sharing the gospel. And so he says, Timothy, you got your foundation from your, from your mom and your grandma. Now I've taught you what I know. And so you take what you've learned from me and you begin to teach other faithful men who will be other to teach other faithful men. And that's why we still have the gospel being perpetuated in truth today, is that gift of teaching that Christ has given to His church has been handed down um, from family to family, from generation to generation, from church to church, from pastor to pastor. Um, so, so, So I said all that to say this. If you'll take the knowledge God has given you and share it with your family and with your friends and with your co-workers, and with anybody that's listening to you, you will be planting seeds. You will be laying a foundation for somebody else to come alongside at some point in time and water that seed and build upon that foundation and harvest that, um, that fruit from that seed that you've sown and disciple them even further down the road. I know I'm laboring this a little while, but I want you to get what I'm trying to say to you. Um, when I preached Kit's funeral a couple of weeks ago, um, the, the the faith of that family was strong and it was inspiring to me. But there was a few songs that were sung um, in that service. And, and, and the message of both of those songs came out um, of, of the greatness of God and the goodness of God. One of the first prayers you probably ever learned, God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. I mean, I, I didn't think anything about that. My mom and dad taught me that prayer. I, th- I, thought, I thought nothing about it. I hadn't thought a lot about it since then. But I've come to understand that those are the two greatest fundamental foundational principles that exist in God's Word is that God is great. That He is Almighty. That he has all power and all knowledge. That he's everywhere all the time. That he's eternal. That's the greatness of God. I mean, you, you look through God's word and you'll see that principle over and over and over and over and over again. And the second is that God is good. Now, if you had somebody that was just great, almighty, all-powerful and wasn't good, then you'd probably have a, a wicked tyrant. But those two, it's the, it's the holiness of God and the love of God um, being born out to us in a little simple child's prayer. So you understand what I'm saying? You take that fundamental, foundational, little simple prayer. God is great. Here's another one. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Do you know that truth? If you know that truth, then you can teach that truth. And there may be other things that you can't do. There may be other, un, the other places in the Scripture that you don't have an understanding of certain things. You don't feel equipped or called to teach those things. That's fine. Um, teach your children to pray those prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. All those little, all those little kids' prayers. There's a lot of truth ingrained in those statements. Um, I, I, nobody had to ever convince me that I was a sinner because I understood that early on. I understood the need to pray for forgiveness. I understood the need um, to call upon one that could help me. And so whatever that you have that you can teach, um, you should teach to anybody that will listen to you. God has given you a sound mind. He's given you an understanding of some scripture. Now, I'm going to go back to that original definition, the ability to share the truths of God's word in an ever-increasing measure. I think that you ought to take those elementary, fundamental, foundational teachings and develop them in yourself. Teach them to other people and then grow yourself and keep passing along that stuff. Just keep passing along. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't mean to labor this point this long. You know what? I think one of the most important teachers in the public school system is is a kindergarten teacher and it ain't just because my daughter is one. If you get a kid that doesn't get those, those, those essential background ABCs colors, one, two, threes um, they're going to have big trouble second, third, fourth grade it's the the little simple fundamental foundational things that lay the foundation to build on and listen, God's given us the gift of teaching in the church and we got to do these things, plant the seeds build the foundation somebody else will come along and help you Somebody else will come along and water. Somebody else will come along and build. Somebody else will come along and harvest. Um, I remember Sarah got saved at Millwood Baptist under Jason Jones' preaching one night, and somebody asked me a, a day or two later, does it bother you that your daughter um got saved under another man's preaching? And I said, Absolutely not. It, it was funny to me they even asked the question. I'm like, um, it ain't like she's never heard what she heard that night. She's been hearing that all her life. She's heard it from me. She's heard it from her mama. She's heard it from her grandma. She's heard it from her grandparents. She's heard it all of her life. It finally clicked. And 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 that's and that's all, all all of all any of us are doing is taking what we know and sharing it with somebody else, and God's watering that and giving the increase in it. Now, I I gotta say one more thing and then move on. I've labored that way too long, but so when I say the gift of teaching, I'm not necessarily talking about taking a Sunday school class. I'm talking about teaching the people that are with you and around you, especially your family, your friends, your coworkers. Teach them what you know. But we do need teachers in the church. We do need teachers in the church. January, we'll start this officer election process again, electing teachers again. Um, I, 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 gonna, we're going to see how this early service goes in January. If y'all like it and you want to continue, I'll keep preaching. It don't bother me to preach early in the mornings. Even if there's 10 or 12 here, I'll keep doing this. Um, but if this were ha- if this happened to grow, um, if we ever reach that place where we, we, we run two-service capacity, and I know that looks like a pipe dream right now, but if it happens, we may have to do like Ray did at Hickox and flip services where you have half of a congregation comes uh, at 9.30 for church and the other half goes 9.30 for Sunday school and then you flip-flop them, you musical chair the thing. You know what has to happen if that occurs is that you got to have twice as many teachers because you, you, you want the teachers to be able to sit in the church service and be fed and worship corporately just like everybody else and so you can't ask everybody to do double duty. So that's going to require twice the number of teachers. Um, if Edward starts the children's ministry in January and we hadn't sit down really t- fleshed it out yet, um, but if, if, if we want a child care ministry in the early service, guess what? We're going to have to have more volunteers because you can't expect people to come up and, and, and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there at 8 o'clock, I'm going to teach children's church at 8, I'm going to go to Sunday school at 9.30, and I'm going to come back at 10.45 and teach children's church again. I get it, it's only one Sunday, probably one Sunday every six weeks or eight weeks or something like that, but that's still asking a lot. It it, it becomes a whole lot easier when you spread that out across the board. um, Anybody that's ever taught will tell you this. You'll learn more from teaching than you will from being taught. You will learn more from teaching than you will from being taught. And you'll learn stuff. When you become a teacher that you won't even share with your students because it, it will it'll go be over their head it'll be something that you get a hold of that's for you, not necessarily for them. That's true in my life even in this pulpit um, the, if you if you teach kids kids will challenge your faith they will ask you questions that you scared to ask yourself and that makes you dig. I'm telling you I told Chris was telling me, I forget which one of the kids it was now, but he's like, man, they ask some hard questions sometimes. She, she, he, I don't remember what it was now, and I said, I don't want to hear it. And he said, he looked at me kind of funny. I said, suck it up. Becky James came through the youth group when I was a youth pastor. And Becky asked me some questions that I just had to say. you going have to let me do a little research, all right? <laughs> Because she's a deep thinker. And, but that was good for me. We laughed about it the other night at Sheriff's Department lunch. And I said, Becky, you helped me grow probably as much as anybody in church because you asked me questions I was scared to ask myself. But you asked them, and I felt like I owed you at least a, a, an attempt at an answer. So you made me go dig. You made me go research. Um, Zion Hill needs more teachers. And, uh, and I, I just want to ask you to consider taking what God has put in you and sharing it with somebody else. Um, teach them what you know, and you'll both grow. I think some of you already know you have that gift, but some of you will discover you have that gift as you step out in faith and, um, and begin to do those things. Um, I love the fact, and I don't know any other churches that do this, and I may, it may just be ignorance on my part. I love the fact we have a lot of couples teaching together. And, and one reason I love that is because marriage is so under attack in our culture. I think it is so healthy for kids to see a man and his wife come together in Sunday school. And I'm telling you, a lot of these men are terrified of these kids. And um, But when their wife says, I'll help you or we'll come alongside of you, I know when Hunter and Amber went into the thing that that Amber took the lead early on, but, but Hunter so enjoyed it and he became the visual illustrator for Amber's teaching. and um, And he gets excited about that kind of stuff. Um, And and, and the same is true Jennifer does. There's so many that have done that, and it's worked well. So let me just ask you to consider that. Let me move on. Um, The gift of serving. The gift of serving is very simple. You see a need, and you meet a need. And, and And that is in the context of the church as a whole. If you see a need, meet a need. Or any individual in the church. If there's somebody in the church that you know they need you to come alongside of them and be a help to them in a personal need or in their ministry within the church itself. Just come alongside. Um, Chris has a lot of people who serve alongside him in the youth ministry who just come to cook, who come to, um, to just be chaperone, who come to do this, who come to do that. The gift of serving is simply that you see that there's a need and you meet that need. Um, and, and, and if God has given us good health, if God has given us able bodies, if God has given us the ability to do these things, um, then we have the ability to serve somebody else. And we, we have been given a gift to be able to serve. John chapter 13, Jesus said, If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You know what Jesus was doing? He took the lowest form of service in the house. Typically what happened in that culture is when guests came into a house, um, the host would, uh, would, would get the, the, um, the servant who was the lowest on the totem pole in the house to wash his guests' feet. Now, I get it. They done eight meal. They done, done all that. But Jesus is illustrating something here. He's, not, he, he's taking that, which was a very common practice in that day, and he's teaching them something. Um, these guys are fighting a few hours ahead of this about which one was the greatest. And they'd argue about that again soon. And so Jesus is illustrating a spiritual truth in this by, by, by showing them That the one who is the greatest in the kingdom is the one who lives to serve somebody else. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, I've shown you what it looks like to be great in the kingdom. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Um, Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 ends with, that we ought not to use our liberty for an occasion to serve our flesh, but by love serve one another. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, help carry somebody else's load, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, As we have opportunity, where you see an opportunity, Do good unto all men and especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That's those who are in your church family. Do good to them. Serve them. Do whatever you can to meet their needs. Um, I don't know how many years Brother Bill has come out here for our New Year's Eve Seafood Feast. But he has told everybody that he has ever met. That if you go to Zion Hill, you'll find the most servant-hearted people that you've ever met. And, and, and one way he always illustrates that is they will shuck your oysters for you <laughs> until you're full. We say something because it's hard to get filled up, filled, filled up on oysters. But that, Bill has always been just so impressed. all I have to do is stand there and let them feed me. <laughs> and he's a, he always loved that part of and and then he'll walk into the kitchen and look at how all those guys are are laboring together to serve those huge groups of people that we used to have come and it was still a good crowd um, but the gift of serving is an incredible opportunity for all of us if God has given us an able mind we can teach if God has given us an able body we can serve i, I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this is just an interesting passage where this is, this is a church who had all kind of problems, but there were some good people in the church and some people that were doing some phenomenal things. And in um, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he said, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. And listen to what he says about this house of Stephanus. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. The household of Stephanus lives to serve the needs of the church and the people within the church. And so, and then he gives this, this exhortation. He says, I want you to submit yourselves unto such. What's he saying? I want you to follow their leadership. Not that I want you to let them serve you, I want you to see how they serve the saints and do the same because because corinth had a lot of problems and 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 a lot of times the people that are causing the problems are the ones that are doing the least and so paul said and if you if you want to redirect your attention to something important look at that household and look at how they serve look at how they minister to the saints and you go do the same and to everybody that helps us and labors um he said, I'm glad for the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Nicaeus, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. You, where you failed, they stepped up. Where you were not serving, they did serve. And verse 18 says, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge you them that are such. What if we had a whole church full of people addicted to the ministry of the saints? A whole church full of people addicted to the ministry of the saints. Now that could be anything from being an encourager, to being a counselor, to being a dishwasher, to being a repairman. If you see it, if you see a need, meet the need. If you're capable of doing it, do it. Don't don't say, I'll somebody else will get that. Step up and and do what needs to be done. Help any way that you can. Um, And I know you've heard me say this before, I believe this as much as I believe anything in God's Word. The work that goes on the most unnoticed on earth is going to be the work that is most rewarded in heaven. We just went through the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday nights and Jesus kept saying stuff about the Pharisees. He started with, when you give your alms, when you do your good service to other men, don't do it to be seen. Don't let the left hand know what your right hand's doing, in fact. And he said, the Pharisees do that. When they get their alms, they sound the alarms in the street. They want everybody to know what they're doing. And Jesus said, they have their reward. But he said, if you want to to please the Father, and if you want to receive reward in heaven, do what you do not to be noticed for it. Do what you do behind the scenes, and the Father will reward you openly for that. And so, the work that goes on in serving inside the church that is unnoticed by most people is the work that I believe God is going to reward the most largely in heaven. And he, Jesus said, the one that is least will be greatest, he that is first will be last, and the last will be first. And, and the least will be greatest, and the greatest will be least and that's what I think he's talking about is when you you serve behind the scenes and are just faithful to do what you can to meet the needs to bear the burdens when you bear the burdens of others you fulfill the law of Christ and here's the last one and I'm going to run through it quickly because you don't really need it I don't think the church needs it I'm not sure I think we can can build on all of these things Um, but these are indispensable, indisputably necessary gifts that the church has to have to live, to survive, to thrive. And the last is the gift of giving. The gift of giving. And I know sometimes we say, I, I say it like this, you give your time, you give your talent, you give your treasure. Um, but that's, I'm, I'm talking specifically today about contributing to the ministry of the church through, through, through finances to support the goal of gospel ministry through a monetary gift to do that proportionately not everybody gives the same thing because not everybody has the same thing not everybody's been blessed the same way um, but everybody can give proportionately and everybody can give regularly and, and everybody should second um, corinthians chapter nine verse seven said that God loved the cheerful giver that he wants us to give not grudgingly or not because we have to um, but because we get to and and God loves when we cheerfully give to the work of his kingdom um... when you go to, to Chapter eight, verse seven. That, that that both of those chapters deal with giving. Second Corinthians eight and nine. But but chapter eight, verse seven, um, the Apostle Paul says um, he's ta- he's telling them about a group of people who abounded in the in that they were poor people. In fact, he said they they out of their out of their poverty, they gave liberally. They gave more than um, than anybody could have expected of them. And so here's what Paul said to the Ch- Corinthian church: I want you to abound in this grace. Also, grace is a gift. And so Paul said, "I want you to abound in this gift. Also, what gift? I want you to abound in the gift of giving. Abound in the gift of giving. Learn to give. Learn to give. Um, good stewardship is important. It's important for the church. It's important for every Christian in the church. And um, and I'm, I'm I'm just I guess." I, Paul said bear with me a little in my folly and he boasted a little bit and he called it foolishness and some I'm, I'm going to boast a little bit and call it foolishness too you'll be hard pressed to find any other churches who try to be as good a steward of the resources of God than Zion Hill has been and it ain't, this ain't about me this is about the church as a whole and how they have a- adopted this philosophy of be generous in your giving and God will give you more to give be generous in your giving, and God, and that, that's not a prosperity gospel because it's not about us getting rich. It's about being able to do more for the glory of God. Um, most churches, and you can look this up online. I Googled it the other day because I knew that it was this was the case and, and just was looking for the validation behind it, I guess. Um, in most cases, um, personnel staffing in a church is anywhere from from fifty to sixty percent, generally, half to sixty percent of the church's income goes to staff. Zion Hill is twenty-five percent, and that includes everybody, and that includes all the benefits, that includes all the per diem, that includes all the insurance, that includes all the taxes, that includes everything that's um, that that involves personnel staffing. Twenty-five um, percent goes to support the personnel who are full-time or part-time ministry staff, even the custodial um, side of things um, in this church. 35% goes to missions, ministries, and, be- and benevolence needs. And 40% goes to operational costs, which is the, the lights, the buildings, the insurance, the maintenance, and also all of the inside ministries of the church, the men, the women, the children, um, every operational ministry inside this church all of the buildings and grounds is covered by forty percent of the budget I, that's good stewardship that's, just, that's the kind of stewardship that God will continue to honor um, that's exceptional and I there are people who support this church regularly on a regular basis who never attend this church and one of them has been doing it my daddy's been doing it since I've been here but he does that you know I can't, I can't use my daddy as an example in that but um, when we got through our last building fund he called me he said I like what Chris is doing I'm going to start directing my money to the youth program I said that you do whatever you want to do um, but there are others I, I'm not going to call names but there are two or three others that support this church on a regular basis financially who said this is what they say this is what they told me they're part of other churches they go to other churches these are not people that are outside of a church but here's what they said I believe in Zion Hill and the ministry that Zion Hill is doing in the world and I just want to be a part of that. And a lot of them are disappointed in the church that they're attending, um, that they feel like that there's money that should be better utilized and those people are supporting this ministry and that's, in, that's encouraging to me. Now I don't ever preach on that subject because I don't have to because you believe in the gift of giving and that's obvious, it shows. Um, but I just wanted to remind you that the first people who were called Christians were Christians at Antioch. And if you understand why they were called Christians, it was because they saw needs outside of their church. And they, they collected resources and said, um, if you'll go, we'll send. If you'll go, we'll send. Um, if, if God's called you to this ministry, we'll, we'll supply the need for it. And, it, and it, took the, their, it was the gift of their giving that, that helped that um, take place. So I'm, I'm beyond excited that God would entrust us with the resources that we have to reach way outside of our wildest imaginations in this world. Um, th- th- those orphans in Nepal that most of us will never meet are directly impacted every day by the liberal giving of Zion Hill Church all the way around the world in the Himalayan mountains. The biggest supporter of Planet Oaks Orphanage is Zion Hill Church. And Zena's on the board now, by the way. One of only three board members. <laughs> two, down to two now. <laughs> and they've loaded her down with, with stuff to do to help organize things. But then you get she's that gift of serving and the gift of giving. Um, not just here, but to the whole body of Christ outside. These are the gifts that the church can't live without, um, gifts that we all have, and I think gifts that we can all give in some measure. Nobody, can, nobody has to give the same proportionally, but I think that we can all give these gifts to the church in some measure. Um, they are present investments that bring future returns. Um, when we teach, when we serve, and when we give, um, we're making an investment right now um, that, that secures us a strong future. We cannot live without these things going on every week inside of the Zion Hill Church. And so I don't want anybody to be a spectator. I don't want anybody to be a spectator. Um, I've been talking to some people the past week that have been coming to church for a while. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I told them, I'm like, look, I'm, I'm not, I don't push church membership, but it's there for a reason. You can't just let anybody come in and teach and and do these things. There needs to be some accountability. So that's the main purpose of the membership. But 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 my thing is, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm just a spectator. I'm just a pew sitter. I'm just somebody that's there to to, to cheer the rest of them on. I don't want anybody to feel like that. I want everybody that has um, that attends this church regularly to feel like they belong to the church. To feel like they not only are benefiting from the church, but are a benefit to the church. Um, I want everybody that, that attends here regularly to be able to build this church, to build it up and to better it by their involvement in it. And so I just want you to, I want to ask you to ask God to use you in that way in 2024. Lord, Use me to teach somebody, anybody, everybody what I know already about you and about your word. God, show me where there's needs um, and help me to be one who steps up to serve. Um, Let me give from what you've given to me um, to be a blessing to the kingdom, to the work of the kingdom. Um, and, And if we do these things, and the more that we do these things, and the more people that we can get to do these things, I think the more that you'll see the church thrive. Not just live, but thrive and grow. Let's stand together. Kim, come lead us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for just these simple but profound gifts that you've given to us that we can all utilize that we can all be a part of, that we can all give back. Um, you've given us sound minds. You've given us able bodies. You've given us resources in different measures, but we all we all can give these three things back to you, and I pray you'd help us to do that. Um, I, I pray that Zion Hill has the best year that we've ever had in the year coming up expand our ministry once again help us to make a greater impact in our community and in the world around us for your name's honor and glory i believe with all of my heart time is getting short and um the day of your return is certainly uh, closer by the day and so there's no time to slack off there's no time to to back down um, just the opposite is true. Help us to step up. Um, just add your blessing to this invitation and whatever you do, we'll praise you for and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.